there's a sense of powerlessness that happens for us as parents. It happens for the kids. And sometimes when the grandparents see us struggling with that, they have a sense of powerlessness. And that's when they tend to go into this superhero mode where they're giving us all these tips, telling us everything they read, telling us what they should do in this kind of top-down way. And oftentimes the attention is to solve a problem for us when it really just creates more problems. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today I'm sharing with you a super interesting conversation that quite honestly blew my mind when we recorded the episode, because today we're talking about parenting from a whole new point of view. Specifically, we're looking at the relationship we have with our own parents and parents-in-law, while also trying to navigate our own journey as parents. And to help us dive into all of this is Kanisha Baynard, a brilliant coach who, among other things, helps families navigate the challenges of intergenerational families. While this can mean families where people from multiple generations are living under the same roof, as was the case for Kanisha years ago, for the purposes of our conversation today, we're really exploring all the challenges, aspects, nuances, and realities that come into play when we're busy raising our differently wired kids while also being adult children of our own parents. If you've ever had a communications fail or conflict or disagreement with your own parents over some aspect of raising your own child, I guarantee you're going to get so much out of this episode because Kanisha has an incredible perspective and practical strategies for how we can create the dynamic we want in relation with our own parents, and most importantly, one that best serves our kids. So here is my conversation with Kanisha. Hey everyone, Debbie Reber here with the Tilt Parenting Podcast, and today I am super excited to be welcoming to the show a friend of mine, a bold living mama, certified life coach, educator, facilitator, blogger, I'm getting tired saying all these things, crafter, and many other things, Kanisha Baynard. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Debbie. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we've known each other for a bunch of years now, and I also know that there are so many different things we could talk about today, including how to live a bold life. But I happen to know that one of your areas of expertise is centered around multi-generational and in-law dynamics. And I thought that could be a really interesting topic for us to tackle today because... Well, because our relationships as parents with our own parents, as well as the parents of our partner can be tricky no matter what the situation. But I think with differently wired kids, there can be that added strain or maybe just an extra element for consideration that can really impact all facets of these kinds of relationships. Absolutely, Debbie. A lot of us sometimes forget that, you know, when we have families, we have our specific immediate family, but the extended family can be a really super impactful tool if we leverage those relationships properly. So yeah, everything you just said. I like the way you said a tool to leverage. Uh, That's such a nice way to even frame this conversation. So but before we get into talking about that specifically, would you mind just taking a few minutes and tell us about yourself and your own family dynamic, like how many kids you have, how old they are, what your family makeup looks like, and maybe as part of that, how you came to have this special focus of multi-generational dynamics in your work? We are currently a family of four, and I say currently because we've had a multi-generational living situation in the past. 
And so uh, my husband and I have two children. We have a daughter who's 17 and she's a senior in high school. So that's a big transition going Mm -hmm. on for us right now. And then we also have a nine-year-old who is in fourth grade and he's our son. So we um, have two kids. We have an age gap. We have a long marriage. And we are people who really look at family as this broad term that we define on an ongoing basis. So it's pretty interesting for us. And I mention it that way because when we were having our second child and we were figuring out our careers and how to be good parents and still have a healthy marriage, we decided to go out on the limb and create what we call the nuclear family with the word N-E-W being nuclear. And we invited my mother-in-law to live with us. And a lot of people think, oh my gosh, Kenesha, you are absolutely crazy and insane. Who would want a situation like that to have your mother-in-law with you 100% critiquing you in your business all Mm -hmm. up in the mix of your family. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, it could be that way, but we are going to craft, create, nurture our multi-generational family to be positive, nurturing, and then whatever else comes along. So we were able to do that for about five and a half years until we relocated and my mother-in-law decided that California was not the sunshine state for her. So (laughs) was she up? For I mean, I'm curious what her response was when you invited her to move in and be a part of your family in that way. It was interesting because it kind of came out of like a little quip that she made. I called her to let her know we were expecting another baby, which shocked her because our oldest was already seven years old and and also the oldest grandchild. And I was like, hey, we're having this other baby. And she was like, well, maybe I'll move and sell my house and come live with you and help you with the baby. And I was thinking, is she joking? Because (laughs) that could actually work. Mm -hmm. And so then I spoke with my husband about it because the conversation was really between my mother-in-law and me. And we spoke on the phone at that time a lot more frequently than my husband spoke with her. And I was always giving the digest, which happens a lot in different marriages, but it's okay. And when we were talking about it, we really were thinking about how to have grandparents be a part of our kids' life because we had always been living far from either of our sets of parents. And we both grew up with having grandparents be a huge part of our life. My husband had lived with his grandparents as a multi-generational family. I used to spend extended summers with my grandparents in Mississippi. And then my grandmother would come back to Wisconsin and live with us for a few months. So we both had had positive experiences and what it was like to have hands-on close by proximity, and really a multi-generational lifestyle that seemed natural and a normal fit for us. So it wasn't out of the ordinary, but to really think about it in a practical way and for a modern area, it really took us to a different place of how we saw ourselves as adult children, how we saw ourselves as parents of our kids, and then as how we saw ourselves of welcoming this whole extended idea of what it meant to be a family and how we could make it be as positive as possible. Mm -hmm. That is so cool and brave. It sounds very brave to me. And bold. <laughs> and bold <laughs> to use your word. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm curious to know what commonalities you have found through your personal experience and then working with other families and supporting multi-generational families in terms of the kinds of challenges we as parents have with our own parents when it comes to what's going on with our kids. Like, are there some inherent kind of common challenges that you've experienced and seen within this dynamic? Yeah, the first two things that always come up, and I talk a lot in workshops and with clients about this, is thinking about roles and boundaries. 
Because oftentimes, as adult children, we have our lives in progress. We haven't lived with our own parents in X number of years. I mean, some of us stayed at home longer than others. Some of us left at 18 or whatever the age was, and we haven't lived in the same household for years. So even though we know each other, our roles, our dynamic, and our boundaries have shifted, and we might not have really looked at that in a concrete way. So when you think about having a multi-generational household, or you think about having a grandparent as a caregiver of your children, it really forces you to look at roles and boundaries. And the role might be, you know, the grandparent looking at the adult child in the same lens as they did when they were, you know, an adolescent, a teenager, a college student, where as right now they have a whole family, they might have an entire career, they have a different life. And that takes some conversations, that takes some time to re-get to know each other and to be open to what you learn about the other person, whether it be about the grandparent, whether it be about the adult child. And then when you add grandkids into the mix, the grandparents start to see the adult kids in a different role where they are actually in charge. They're doing the same things, but perhaps in a different way that the grandparent once did. And the grandparents might start to learn something about themselves as parents. They might start to learn something about how parenting has changed, how all these different schools of thought or ways to parents are acceptable. Because at one point in time, there really was only, quote unquote, one way to do it because we didn't have the Internet to share. We didn't have a lot of talk shows talking about parenting. We didn't have a lot of parenting books. We didn't have blogs about Mm it. And it really can be an assault to the parenting system for grandparents to see all these new and different ways because no one wants to be obsolete. No one wants to learn that they did parenting wrong. No one wants to see that everything I used to do as a parent has been thrown out. And oftentimes a grandparent might not understand that they're feeling this way, a sense of loss, a sense of regret, a sense sometimes of confusion, or perhaps it's anger. And then when conversations happen between the grandparent and perhaps the adult child, they're not always coming from a neutral stance. There's some emotion attached to it, or it might be some anger, confusion, some type of emotion just coming out sideways. And then that gets confusing. And then the roles and the boundaries sometimes are breached. And a lot of times people have just got to stop right there, let it all out, lay it bare before they can get started and having a really healthy grandparent as caregiver or multi-generational household. Yeah, that is so fascinating. You know, with me personally, I've lived far away from my parents for Asher's entire life. It wasn't a conscious decision to do that. It's just how things worked out. We were in Seattle when he was born. And then for the past three plus years, we've been living in the Netherlands. So my parents don't get to spend that much time with Asher. And when he was younger, and we were still living in the States, maybe two to three weeks together per year was the total that we were together. And I do remember just how challenging those years were, especially when we were first discovering that he was uniquely wired, um, you know, because the kind of conventional parenting techniques and strategies were pretty much worthless for us in a lot of ways. And so we were educating Mm -hmm. ourselves and trying to figure out what to do and how to parent this child. And I was very aware that the way we were parenting Asher looked so different than the way my parents and the way my husband's parents parented Darren and I. So I was very aware of that disconnect. And, you know, maybe I thought it was because of a child being such a uniquely wired person. But really, I understand just from hearing you talk about this, that's 
it is so different the way we parent today in general from the way our parents parented us. I mean, I remember having a conversation with my own mother and we're very close. I'm an only child. So she's very involved in my kid's life because I'm an only child. These are only two grandkids. And I welcome that. And sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's tense. And one time I was, she was visiting for an extended period, which was great. I loved having her. And I was having a conversation with my kids and they were expressing themselves and I expressed myself and they expressed themselves. And it was probably a half an hour conversation that my mother um, witnessed. And then later when the two of us were alone, she asked me, why did you let the kids go on like that? And in my mind, I'm like, what do you mean? We were having a conversation. And she said, why don't you just have a more top-down approach? I mean, that's what I did. And you didn't have to spend so much time on these discussions. So to her, she was thinking that the kids were using up more time than I had. And then to me, I was thinking she thought that I wasn't asserting enough authority. Mm -hmm. And we had a conversation about it. I just asked her, why did it look that way to you? As opposed to saying, why are you accusing me of something? Because I was a little defensive, I will admit, but I really want to have a better understanding of why she saw it that way. And then that helped me respond more thoughtfully and to just talk to her about how I parented without saying, well, when you parented me, you did X, Y, Z. It was just really open a conversation to understand how we communicate and why that's important. And I told her, I said, you know, since you're a parent, a grandparent, that's a way it's good for you to try this style because you'll get more information from the grandkids. You'll feel like you've spent more time with them and you'll get to know them better. Mm. And I said, just practice it and see how it goes. And then you can tailor it to fit you. So giving this openness, this opportunity for her to learn from me without me telling her that her way was wrong, without her telling me that I'm wasting too much time, which is how I initially heard it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it it's, A tricky thing in the sense of these are conversations you might not have wanted to have with parents or thought you had to have them. And a lot of times when we're so busy parenting, we're busy, we might be overstressed, overtaxed. We don't want to constantly have to explain ourselves. But at the same time, we want to have proper support, proper boundaries and have our relationship with our parents and our kids relationship with our grandparents be healthy as well. So it does take time. Yeah. And I I love that you were able to have that conversation in such a calm way, because I think you're absolutely right. You know, you talked about the feelings of loss or regret or confusion or even anger that it could bring up in our parents. It is a very emotional thing, and it's emotional for us, too. So I just love hearing you talk about how you were able to have that conversation in a way that didn't feel judgy and that didn't put your mom on the defensive, but helped you both to kind of understand each other better. That's really awesome. Yeah, a lot of times when we're all trying to figure this out, especially when we're working with our kids and they might be experiencing a challenge, whether it's at home, at school, with peers, specifically dealing with how they're differently wired, there's a sense of powerlessness that happens for us as parents. It happens for the kids. And sometimes when the grandparents see us struggling with that, they have a sense of powerlessness. And that's when they tend to go into this superhero mode where they're giving us all these tips, telling us everything they read telling us what they should do in this kind of top-down way. And oftentimes the attention is to solve a problem for us when it really just creates more problems. Mm -hmm. And this whole cycle of powerlessness creates these rifts between the adult child, the grandparents, and then also the grandchildren. And then everybody is left feeling a sense of, it's a lot of chaos going on when everybody's trying to help, everybody's trying to be on the same page, but no one understands how to get there. 
And I think really looking at different protocols to support each other and having these systems in place really helps everybody involved understand how they can be helpful, even in the most tense moments. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We'll be right back after this quick break. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. One of the things I struggled with when Asher was younger was wanting my parents to see that I was doing a quote unquote good job parenting Asher. I think we all feel mm -hmm. this way. And, and then me feeling really inadequate when he would, you know, throw an epic meltdown or something. There were many situations I could recall at the moment, but the one that's popping up for me is when we were visiting over Christmas, maybe Asher was four or five and I think we we're going to a train museum or something, which should have been great because I think he was really into trains. But for some reason, the way this museum was structured, they made us walk through a gift shop before going in. And that was during the years when gift shops were like Asher's nemesis. So, you know, even if he was allowed to choose a $1 item, he would 
spent what seemed like hours being anxious about, you know, not making the right choice or feeling this pressure, I have to get something, but I don't like anything. And or if we told him we weren't going to the gift shop, that wouldn't end well either. And so I think on this day, that's what we did. We said, maybe we'll visit the gift shop before we leave, but we're going to do the train museum first. And that just was not going to work for Asher on that day. And he lost it. Like, it was a big, big meltdown. It's seared in my memory. I ended up putting him in the car because there was nothing else to do with him. I just kind of stuck him in the car. And <laughs> my parents, Darren and I stood outside the car in this sub freezing temperatures. And we just waited it out. And it was probably close to an hour till that was over. And I remember just feeling so embarrassed and humiliated and just like a failure. And I imagined my parents, especially my dad, judging me, thinking I was making the wrong decisions or Asher was really spoiled or I didn't have a handle on this whole parenting thing. You know, and now, of course, I don't think that's what was going on. And they probably felt really bad about it. But I was putting this immense pressure on myself. And that only added to how overwhelmed I was feeling. So what like what is going on in situations like this in your experience? And in those kinds of situations, which I know many of our listeners experience, this is not a rare thing for a differently wired kid. How can we take care of our own needs and our kids needs when our parents are witnessing these situations? Well, one of the things I like to talk to families about, and it usually starts with the parents and extends to the grandparents when they invite them in, is having this PAL system, and I just call it that. It's an acronym, P-A-L. And each letter stands for the P is for patience, the A is for assistance, and the L is for love and learning. And I always tell parents, start with your PAL system. You know, have patience with yourself, have patience with the situation, your growth and learning about how to be a parent in this situation and then to how to how to parent your child. And always extend that patience in the situations where you know how to handle and the situations that you don't know how to handle. And then assistance, have a clear list of what you need. Be clear about your needs and your expectations when you need assistance. And if you have this clear list, when things go well, when things go, uh, they're kind of okay. And when they go completely what we would call a disaster, when oftentimes it's not, but we feel like it's a Mm -hmm. disaster have a list of ways you can be assisted so you can be clear on those. You can ask for them. You don't have to scramble and you can feel better about getting the exact help that you need. And then the L for love and learning, you have to love yourself. You have to love what you're going through because this is new to you day to day. Some things you have unlock, other things you're still learning and connecting love with learning. You just give yourself permission to be a learner in those situations mm-hmm. and to lean on your assistance and to have patience with yourself. And when the parents go through this and they kind of create their own protocol around this, they can then invite the grandparents in to create their own protocol. And then they can cross train the parent and the grandparent on what it means to be a pal to each other, to fully support the entire family, to support the role of grandparents and parents. And then, of course, ultimately to support the grandchild, because everybody really is wanting to support the grandchild. And oftentimes, if we're not on the same blueprint along what that looks like, Mm -hmm. again, I mentioned it's chaos and it's not meant to be chaos, but that happens. And I feel like when parents give themselves this full permission to use a PAL system, they can be vulnerable, they can be honest, and then they can be clear about what they need so that it clears up more of the anger, confusion, 
disappointment or denial and oftentimes fear. That is such good stuff. I mean, that makes total sense. It's about having a plan, you know, because you're right. In those situations, we are, if we don't have a plan, it does feel chaotic and we're not at our best for sure. And then also, I used to always feel like I needed to write a handbook for the grandparents so they would understand how to support Asher in tough situations. But this is really such a nice, this PAL approach is so nice and simple and clear. I love that. I love your idea about writing the handbook, but to make it a little bit more simple, I do encourage families to have an annual time to, you know, reevaluate their PAL system and then together to set um, a set of intentions for that calendar year or maybe create a manifesto. Like I love the Tilt Parenting Manifesto. Maybe they can build upon that or to set a, you know, create a set of agreements or a mission statement because oftentimes we just need a touchstone to refer back to so that we could all stay on the same page mm-hmm. around being this multi-generational family, however it looks, if the parents are, are caregivers, if there's actually a live-in situation or there's more time being spent together in an interge- intergenerational connection way. But having these annual connect- commitments to look at the your PAL system, form intentions, create a manifesto, create agreements or a mission statement – really makes everybody have a seat at the table. And that can include the grandchildren too, depending on the age, because we really want the family to be communicating, to work together and to shift their values to be that we're all in this together and it's okay. Mm -hmm. However it looks, Mm -hmm. it's going to be okay. Hmm. That's great. Uh, Okay. So let's talk a little bit about triggers because As you know, and I know, sometimes parenting can seem like one big trigger fest as we Mm -hmm. are trying to manage our own emotional well-being while supporting our child in theirs. So from your experience, what are some of the more common triggers for parents and grandparents when it comes to navigating the relationship? The biggest one I'll just start with out the gate is feeling like you're being judged. I mean, Mm. that is a huge trigger in general. And especially when it comes to parents trying to take care of their kids, when you feel judged, I mean, people can go from Zen to complete crazed thinker in seconds. And it's because, you know, there's shame attached to it. There's that feeling that you're never going to get it right. And that people you admire or people you actually care about are judging you. And that's just such a you know, vulnerable cornered space to be Mm -hmm. in and nobody likes it. So when you think about triggers and you can talk about this and you're, when you're creating your power plan, you can name your triggers. I don't like being judged. I don't like being interrupted when I'm presenting new information about what's going on with my son and daughter. I need you to wait at least a minute to ask additional questions because I'm thinking like any of those things that really set you off. Like for me personally, when I'm working with my in-laws and my own parents in regards to the kids and they want to hear updates and all of that, I always have to say, let me get all the information out and then wait for me to ask you if there are any questions because I need to get all my thoughts out before we go into the discussion. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like if I'm interrupted, I'm going to lose my train of thought. I'm not going to be clear and it frustrates me. So I always have to say that even now, I mean, my oldest is 17. So I've been saying this for a long time, (laughs) but I have to say, let me get everything out before you get to ask your questions and wait for me to let you know, you can ask questions because a trigger of mine is being interrupted like that when I'm trying to be clear. So when we are clear on what those triggers are, then we can put things in place to minimize them. They won't 100% go away because it actually is a trigger 
but having your own language around it to take care of yourself first and then allow you to communicate um, with the grandparents is a, is a really good way to not always feel tense when you have to talk with them or interact with them or discuss what you want to do to support your son or daughter. Mm-hmm. As you were going through the list of triggers, another one that popped up for me that I'm wondering if you've had experience with is just having a grandparent making a decision or kind of stepping in and disciplining or doing something with your child that is against your philosophy as a parent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that has happened to me. (laughs) It's a client. (laughs) And that is a hard one in the sense of, I mean, you know, we're super protective already as as parents. And then sometimes when our children are having a challenge, whether it be just developmental or something specific to them being desired, we are so sensitive to protecting them in those situations. And I had one client talk to me once where they were out at an event and her daughter, you know, was not feeling all the stimuli that was going on in the event and she just had a meltdown. And what they would do in a meltdown is that they would just move her daughter to, you know, a corner space and just stand really close to her, not touching her, not holding her, you know, not getting her out of the space, not dragging her, but just guiding her to that corner and just having, letting her have a space away. Well, they had talked about this with the grandparents and they were at a family function, a wedding actually. And the daughter had a meltdown and one of the grandparents, I can't remember which one, the grandfather or grandmother, but one of them grabbed her arm, not aggressively, but, you know, to pull her aside and it just only escalated. So then they ended up picking her up to take her out of the venue because they thought it was too disruptive. Mm-hmm. And my client just, you know, the daughter was losing it and my client was losing it. And then it, it turned into a yelling fest and we were like, OK, that happened. You can't do anything to change that. So all we need to do is talk about how we would have just done it differently, not so much why it happened or but how we could have upped our protocol and things like that, because then there's going to be the guilt, there's going to be the disappointment on everybody involved, and that just does not help mm-hmm. move, it, move it forward. Mm-hmm. And so I said, the conversation is, let's go back to what we agreed to. Why didn't we do that in the moment? How are you feeling? Like, be honest about it. And then if it happened again, what do you think? How can we make sure it happens that way? And it's not so much of that you didn't do what I told you to do. I wanted you to be more clear about it because everybody panicked and it happens. But the parents can be clear in my expectation is this and this is why, as opposed to saying you're not helping me. That's usually what parents want to say. Parents want to lash out because we are protective. We are mama bears at times, but that's not going to help the situation. If you need to really lash out, I always encourage people to Write it down in your journal exactly the way you want to say it, all the words you want to use, all the language you want to have, and then leave it there because then you can use that information to have the calmer conversation because all your emotions matter. If you need to get them out, I say get them out, but it's not always within the conversation when you're trying to strengthen the protocol around supporting yourself as a parent and supporting your child with the grandparents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. It's hard though, Debbie. It's so hard. Yeah. It is because especially in those, I mean, that situation that your client went through, I I can just imagine that I can almost feel the, you know, the stress and anxiety of that in everyone's eyes. And this is a special occasion and you don't want your child to ruin it. Like there's so much going on. So I guess it really comes back to kind of taking care of yourself in that moment and then also 
learning from that so you can, again, have that clear plan. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. And if something like that happens, it's okay to take a break you know, let the parents know, you know, we're just going to go on a communication break for one day, for five days, whatever the case is, because we do need to regroup and refuel mm. after things mm-hmm. like that. And it's okay to say that. Mm. A lot of times people are like, I have to power on, I have to be strong. I'm an adult. Adults need breaks too. Grandparents need breaks. Kids need break. It's okay to take a break. It sounds so mature. Like, I love that. Just say, hey, you know what? We're going to just take a little communication break so we can regroup. And then we're going to come back together and figure it out. I love that. You know, well, it's hard sometimes when you don't have your protocol that you know you need that. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we don't know what to do because we haven't articulated to ourselves. If you get clear on your PAL system, I promise as you work through it, you will have more language to advocate for yourself, to advocate for your child, to build your relationship with the grandparents Mm -hmm. and the Mm in-laws. That's great. One of the things I hear from a lot of parents in the TILT community is that either their parents or their parents-in-law don't totally buy what's going on 
with a differently wired child. So there might be like, oh, well, you were really willful as a child too. You turn out fine. Or, you know, oh, he seems fine to me. You're being overly sensitive. So there's a lot of dismissing that can happen. And hearing those types of comments from a family member can be especially difficult because a lot of us are already feeling that, you know, I hear, I still hear things like that all the time. Like, People doubt that there's anything differently wired about Asher. I'm like, yeah, when he's sitting reading and being pleasant, you know, there, you would never know, but that can really like delegitimize our experiences. And when it's coming from a family member, especially a parent, that can really be tough to take. Any advice for how parents with differently wired kids can kind of take care of themselves emotionally in that situation while being true to their child and respect their parents at the same time? That is so hard just because it's, it's just not needed that those kinds of conversations do not help. And what I also often tell the parents are if you are going to a book study specifically around what's going on with your differently wired child, if you're going to a lecture, if you're watching a program, you know, any type of the education you're doing for yourself, I would say invite the grandparent. And this is the time when adult kids can appeal to their own parents in the roles of parent-child. You know, if I was talking to my mom, as an example, saying, you know, mom, I'm going to go to this lecture about ADHD, and I would really like to have another lens on it. I would love to have your parenting lens and your grandparenting lens on this when I go, because I'm looking at it as a parent. Will you attend with me? And it's about our relationship together, our roles and our expertise you know, it's about the child, but we're just talking about our role together. So it's a small invitation on that. And then when you have some common information in place, you've had this common learning experience. If a grandparent was to say, well, you know, you turned out well, or back in my day, this is the case. You have this reference point to go back to. You have this conversation to say, well, remember when we both heard this, or remember after the lecture, we discussed this. It's a nice place to recenter the conversation and have the grandparent do a self-check before you will have to dive deeper in letting them know that, one, they potentially are wrong in what they're saying. They've hurt your feelings. They're not being supportive. And this dismissiveness of what you're dealing with is very hurtful. It's good for them to kind of do this self-check, this self-evaluation without you having to go fully Mm -hmm. there and um, kind of create Mm -hmm. a chasm in the middle. And the other piece, too... I've been really happy to see this, you know, there's the, you know, meetup.com and I've seen a growth in the types of meetups that are specific to grandparents in multi-generational and caregiving situations where they're creating their own meetups specifically around being, for example, a granny nanny, or they're creating a meetup around being a grandparent to a grandchild who has autism or whatever the case may be. And they're kind of creating the space to have their own conversations around it and to support each other as grandparents so they can speak their own language. And some of the groups also extend to families working with that. And I think that's another resource that really helps grandparents get on the same page with the adult kids because it's good to have the peer-to-peer conversations because as grandparents and as adult children, we are not in a peer-to-peer situation Mm -hmm. and that can often be Mm -hmm. tricky. Yeah, I love that suggestion. All right, so... Say a parent listening to this conversation is really struggling in their relationship with their own parents or with their in-laws, and they want to implement 
this PAL system and, and kind of get started in shifting things. And maybe things are really not good, you know, because oftentimes if we don't address these things head on, they can deteriorate. Do you have any like suggestions for how to begin that conversation to get things back on track? I think one of the things that adult parents have to, adult kids have to remind themselves is that in this whole game of parenting, you don't have to do all of this by yourself. So when you're trying to build or rebuild the relationship with the grandparents, specifically around what you're working through as a family and supporting your differently wired child, it's good to get an outside party to help you facilitate these conversations, whether it be a workshop or have a mentor come in and do it. Maybe somebody within your spiritual organization that might have some expertise on that. And I feel like a lot of families have a lot of comfort with that choice. And then also getting a coach or spending some time having family meetings that are structured where you list a topic per month and you all agree to work on it and you use any tools and tips that have worked for you as the adult child parenting your differently wired child and you spend time working with the grandparents on that. There are so many ways to have the conversations, but you have to think about how people communicate, how comfortable they are with with sharing their thoughts and feelings and who can be the best person or what can be the best method to facilitate that. So having a mentor, a coach, doing a workshop, having someone from your religious organization and or doing it yourself. Those are ways to really get started and to have it be a fruitful conversation as opposed to just being lip work. Such great advice. Kanisha, this is brilliant. I just have to say, I just have loved this conversation. I'm so excited that we're bringing this to the Tilt community because it's not the kind of conversation we've, we've been talking with a lot of parent coaches about specific challenges that our kids are facing. And these kind of conversations, I think, are so important because our experience as parents it's really critical that we take care of ourselves and, and figure out how to navigate this in a way that is more peaceful for us so our kids can benefit from that. So this is just fantastic. And I want to make sure people know how to get in touch with you. What's the best place that parents can connect with you online and just kind of learn about all your work? Oh, yes, Debbie. I, I'm really happy we've, we've been able to have this conversation because I often feel this whole multi-generational conversation, people kind of leave it off because they haven't really thought of it as being a true thing. And so I write a lot about, a lot about it on my blog and you can find me at boldlivingtoday.com or kenishabaynard.com. And I have a lot of resources and tips and some podcasts on different things about relationships, in-law dynamics, and really how to be the best parent you want to be, and then how to extend that with your support crew or your bold squad, as I like to talk about. And then, yes, because we all need help. We need a bold entourage, a squad, a group to support us in doing the things we want to do well for ourselves and for our family. So it takes a huge group of people to do that, and you want specific people on your team. So I'm really support people in having information and how to do that and having systems and how to create that. So you can find that on my website and blog. And then I also have a book. It's a workbook, which I love, and it's called The Self-Love Playbook for Bold Thinkers. And it's really designed to help people create their own self-love curriculum so that they can take better care of themselves, they can understand their essential expectations, and really create a mindset that allows them to be loving and nurturing to themselves so that they can then extend that to family members into their lives, into their work and things that really make them tick and make them happy. So 
having the playbook would be a really good tool for families to use as they're thinking about their PAL system, as they're putting their family protocols in place, or maybe as they're building their own mission statement and how to be a fully functioning and healthy multi-generational family team in supporting their child. So fun resources, easily accessible, and a really way for people to be creative and connect. That's great. I will, um, for listeners, I highly encourage you check out Kanisha's stuff and I will make sure all the links to everything we've talked about are on the show notes. And I totally want a bold entourage. I love that. Yes. I'm building a bold entourage. Hopefully you will be a part of my entourage. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm already in. I promise you, Debbie, I am in your bold entourage. Excellent. Thank you. Um, Listen, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Again, this is going to be so helpful for our community and we, as parents of differently wired kids, we have a lot of opportunity to explore all of these issues. So, and now we have all these great tools to make it easier. So thank you again for coming on the show. My pleasure, Debbie. Thank you for having me. And thank you to the Tilt community as well. Thank you so much for tuning into the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For more information on Kanisha, a link to her website, Bold Living Today, and all the resources we talked about in this episode, visit the show notes page at tiltparenting.com slash session 34. I wanted to take a minute to thank those of you who filled out the podcast suggestion form and shared with us what you want to hear about for future episodes. We've got lots of great episodes coming up, but we want to make sure we're bringing the kinds of guests and topics that you want to hear about. To share your idea with us, visit tiltparenting.com slash podcast and click on the suggestion form link. Thanks again for listening. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.